The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Park Church. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, I want to say welcome to all of you. I'm glad you're here. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Before we get to the call of worship, call to worship, I want to share just a couple of pastoral thoughts in the season that we're in right now as a church and as a society. I know that this past week was a roller coaster of emotions for so many people. We talked a little bit last week uh, on our Sunday about Jesus' care for our emotions. And so as you come in today, both in our church and in our society, uh, people are experiencing this in a lot of different ways. Uh, Depending on kind of where you fall on a political spectrum, you're kind of feeling probably differently uh, about this time, and we understand that. There are people that are really excited and encouraged right now, and there are things to be excited and encouraged about. There are people who are discouraged or confused or frustrated right now, and there are things to be discouraged about. And there are a number of us who feel mixed emotions. There are things that we feel personally excited about and things we might feel personally discouraged about as we look up and down the kind of the ballots, both at a national level and a local level. There are different things that you may be feeling. And wherever you're at, we want to be a people that come together to remember God's love for us, his love for you, displayed in Christ crucified and risen. We want to learn to reflect that love back to God in the way that we worship him, both here and now and also throughout our lives. And we want to be a people that reflect that love to one another, even people that you might disagree with. And so I want to encourage you in this season, a few things that we're all called to together uh, as the people of God. One is that we're called to pray for our government officials and our government leaders. And so that means as a people, we ought to pray for President Trump and other members of Congress and other local officials that they would lead through this time in the midst of a pandemic and economic crises and justice issues and a lot of complications that we'd pray for them but also to pray for newly elected uh, officials. So to pray for President-elect Joe Biden, to pray for Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, newly elected members of Congress, newly elected local officials. And our call is to pray for them that they would lead towards the flourishing of all people. So as Christians, we're we're supposed to pray for that. And it's a really hard time to lead. And there are a lot of challenging situations. So we're gonna be a people that pray for that. Second, we're going to be a people who remember God's love for us and learn to entrust our lives, ourselves, and our hope into his love and his unshakable kingdom. That's what we do week after week as a people. That's what we're called to do day after day is continue to trust God, trust his love and his unshakable kingdom. But third, and I think this is important for us as we grow and mature as a people to learn that trust in God's reign doesn't suppress what you're feeling. That you can actually draw near to God in the emotions, in the joy, in the excitement, in the discouragement or the confusion or whatever mix of emotions you have. You can actually draw near to God. And we as a people want to be that kind of community. That we create space to draw near to God, whatever you're feeling and however you're experiencing this time. And so uh, we're going to kind of do the call to worship in a second. But I want to encourage you, we're going to pray for a moment that God would continue to meet us exactly where we're at and lead us to trust him, to love him, and to reflect his love in this world. So let's pray together. Jesus, we, we need you as a people. Uh, we are grateful for your reign and for your goodness, but also we're grateful that you're a father who cares about us. You tell us to cast our anxieties, our emotions, our burdens on you because you care for us. And so we want to pray that you would help us to do that and that we'd mature as a people of love as we reflect in your love and your care and your presence even here right now. We also pray for our city, for our state, for our country and the world in the midst of a really challenging time that you pour out grace on all of our governing officials, both officials in office now and newly elected officials and leaders, that you would pour out grace on them to give them wisdom, to give them 
uh, clarity, to give them love and care for uh, our nation or whatever kind of societies and realms in which they provide leadership and that they would lead towards the flourishing of all people. And we pray that you'd help us to be salt and light in the world, confident in your love, confident in your reign, resting in you, processing, processing our emotions with you, showing love towards one another and love towards the world around us. So would you pour out grace on us even now as we worship? Thanks for being a God who's present, who's with us, and who reigns over all things. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Good morning. This morning's uh, scripture passage is out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Again, that's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Can you hear me? Good morning. Good morning. Come on. There y'all go. I'm not new to this. Y'all not new to this. Y'all done had seven months. On those who are online, you still got time. You know, I like, y'all got to talk back to me. You know, that's just how I roll. Y'all got to welcome me. But, um, hey, as um, I, I, I want to say this before we get into the word. Um, man, the, the grass withers, the sun fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our king is on the throne. And as Pastor Gary shepherded us and reminded this morning, um, about what we're feeling, what happened this past week. Um, the beautiful thing is that our God is on the throne, um, and he is not moved by Democrat, Republican, or, um, or, 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 or what your take is on COVID, but yet um, he still, the church uh, will still prevail, and he, we will still move forward. So let's take what we're feeling, whatever it is you're feeling, and let's lay it at the feet of Jesus. Let's lay it at his feet because he wants us, he invites us to do that. So whatever you're carrying, whatever you're feeling in the inside, whether you're at home, what you're feeling as you sit here, we have a God that invites us and says, come get rest in him. So I'll pause. Before we do, let's get our hearts and minds ready. I'll pray for us. You pray for us, and then we'll see what God has to say to us in his word. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment and... Just realize we're talking to a God that is real, a God that loves us, that exists, and wants to meet us. Father, <clears throat> oh wretched man that I am. God, you are so good. Your mercies endure forever. You are holy, and your love never ends. Father, I pray that in this moment, whatever we're feeling, what we're experiencing in life, that we take the opportunity of the invitation you give us to come and rest in you. 
that we lay it at your feet, that we, that, that, that we give it to you so that we don't have to carry it in a way to where everything depends on us. So, Father, right now, as we come before your word, ignite in us, stir things of, bring life from dead places, rebuke, encourage us through your word. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword to pierce through the bone joint and marrow, God. So, Father, hide me behind the cross. Let them not see me as an entertainer, but one who is proclaiming, thus says the Lord. So let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all together say it. Amen. Three words. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. We've either been on the, the, the giving end of that, where we've told people, hey, don't judge me. Or we've been on the receiving end of that. The truth of the matter is that when we talk about the issue of judging, it's a real deal. We don't get to choose in a sense, if we're not going to judge or not, we're all judging something. We all pull up. When we go to a restaurant, we're judging the menu. We're judging the service. We're evaluating. We're seeing what we want to get, what we want to eat. I know that's a simple thing, but yet we judge in all spheres of life. But it's very interesting that when it comes to non-believers in particularly, but even those in the church, they may not know many things about God's word, but they'll know this passage here where it's like, hey, don't judge unless you be judged. And what it is is in that moment, whatever we're feeling, whether legitimate or not, right, whether someone is coming to us in love or whether someone is actually truly judging us, there's something there that we feel, which is why we want to put the wall up and say, you can't judge me. How dare you? And then we'll use the word, you're not God. And there's some truth in that. There's truth in that. We're not. But Jesus comes to this passage, we come to this point in the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus is addressing this issue of judging with his disciples. It's relevant for them in that time and it's just as relevant for us today. You see, Jesus is taking up the issue of judging and it's not to take up the issue of judging as you may think it ought to be. Really what he's, what he's talking about and what he's getting at in the text is how we are to, um, how he's speaking to the character of a disciple, meaning that our character when judging people should be marked with gentleness, spirit-filled and spirit-led discernment. You see, we're all prone to judging from a critical eye, from a, from a, from a self um, from, from a judgmental attitude, we, 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 we are prone to that because we fail to see our sins properly. You see, Jesus calls his disciples, he said, hey, avoid that type of attitude. Avoid one of the Pharisees that has the judgmental attitude. But yet, be characterized, because character matters. One of righteousness, godliness, that is spirit-filled, spirit-led, that leads to truth and discernment for his kingdom here. See, when we say, because here's the thing, when, we, when we're spirit-filled and we're spirit-led and we discern from the spirit of God properly, it leads to constructiveness. 
It constructs. Now, again, we can't control how people respond, but we can control how we respond to people. But when you do it from a posture that God calls us to with gentleness, meekness, love, grace, mercy, it's constructive. But when it's not, when it comes from the hypocritical, the judgmental spirit type attitude, it only leads to destruction. People say don't judge. They're putting that no trespass sign up saying, "Uh uh-uh. This is a no trespass zone. You don't have the jurisdiction. You don't have, you can't come into this space. And that's not true. And we'll see this through the text here. So let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. When you engage with people, how do you judge them? Is it one from a judgmental attitude, a a judgmental posture from criticism? Or is it one that is spirit-filled, spirit-led by the Holy Spirit that leads to a helpful Evaluation, one that points people back to Jesus, one that restores people back to Jesus. How do you judge people? We do it. The question is, how how do we do it? So in this text, we're going to realize that Jesus Jesus is going to talk about blindness when it comes to judging. There's three things we're going to see. We're going to see the core of blindness. We're going to see the cause of blindness. And then we're going to see the cost of blindness. That's what we're going to see, the core of blindness. The cost of blindness, excuse me, the cause of blindness and the cost of blindness. When we look at the core of the blindness here, look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 7. He says, do not judge that you, that you may not be judged, or excuse me, that you be not judged. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you here. What Jesus is getting at when he says, do not judge, this is a present tense verb here, which is uh, is imperative, it's a command. He's saying, hey, stop being critical of people. He says, stop judging. That's not what you're called to do. He's saying, stop judging illegitimately. Because that's the same way, the way you judge, you're going to be judged the same way here. Now, understand, I got to make something very clear here. God, Jesus, excuse me, right here, he's calling us to judge in a healthy way. You see, because in verse 6, he tells us here in verse 1, he says, hey, don't judge. But in verse 6, he says, but watch out for dogs. Don't give what is holy to them. Oh, don't give your pearls to these pigs. Then he goes on even to say in verse 15, hey, wolf, uh, watch out for false prophets and wolves. They're, I mean, they're, uh, they're sheep and wolves' clothing. No, see, what Jesus is saying is that we ought to analyze, we ought to evaluate, we ought to discern from a spirit position here. John, 1 John 4 tells us, he says, test everything. It says, do not, uh, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, whether it is from God or not, many prophets have gone out into the world. He even says in verse First uh, Colossians, uh, Colossians one, excuse me, First Colossians five, where he tells the church to, hey, take this this person that is sleeping with a, uh, someone that's not his wife, hey, give them over to Satan so they can save their soul. That takes discernment. That takes judgment. Understand here, Jesus is saying, hey, we, he is pushing back and warning his disciples about the condemning, the, com- the damnation judgment that we give upon people. 
This isn't a matter about salvation here that he's saying. We don't get to sit here and dictate who's saved and who's not saved. Understand here, God calls us in many places to stand for truth, to stand for what his word says. So don't take this as that we can't push back darkness with God's truth. That's not what he's calling us to do. We ought to be bold. We ought to stand strong in his word, but we ought to do it with gentleness, love, care, mercy, patience, the same way he's given it to us. That's what we ought to do here. So again, we ought to judge sinful behavior, but it's supposed to be in a healthy manner. And when we judge, when we do it, we ought to be slow to do such a thing. We ought to be slow. Man, we microwave Christians. Man, we, 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 Christians ain't nothing but, 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 but pit bulls on a leash. Man, we be just ready to dog at people. All the while forgetting how patient God has been with us. His word even says he's patient to return, to give us, to give people time to repent. So we see that there, the, the core of our blindness. But then even in verse 2, we see that we have the cause of our blindness. He sits here and says that, hey, look, the judgment that you pronounce, that you give to somebody else, that verdict, that judgment, that measure that you do, it's going to be used for somebody else. It's going to be used for you just as well. So be warned. You want to judge people critically? You want to judge them and condemn them? God says, you know what? I'm going to give you the same treatment that you gave them. We're like, uh-uh, no, no, mm-mm. It's the boomerang effect. We want to throw it out there and not thinking that it's going to come back to us. And that's what Jesus' word is saying. He said, no, it's going to come to you, the cause of it. Here's the reason why we sit here and judge people. I remember when I was a child, I had a, I had a basketball goal in my backyard. And I lowered the gold, not telling my father. And I'm just out there just, I'm just dogging. I'm just Michael Jordan coming from the free throw. I'm dunking. Yeah, I'm short, but I can dunk. Don't matter. Muggsy Bo up in this house, listen. Anyways. <laughs> but I call him out there, not telling him what I did, and then I show off like I'm impressed, I'm, like I'm impressing him doing something. And he said, that's great. Now do me a favor. Lo- uh, raise the gold back up to the standard. Now let me see you do it again. And that's what we do. We take the basketball goal, we take God's standard, we lower the standard, so now that we become God, we become judge, we become jury, and now we are the standard that we measure everyone else against. And now no one would ever win because we are the one on on, on top of the seat, not them. That's illegitimate judging. We are distorting God's goodness. We're distorting what he called us to do, and yet we're lowering it to our standards so that we can feel good about ourselves, so that we can look good in front of people. Illegitimate judging only produces destruction. And when we make ourselves the standard, we actually have no hope at all. If anything, we're on the road to destruction and damnation for ourselves and for the people that we're ministering to that God puts into our lives. Judging on the standard that you are leads to no hope and no flourishing. But yet, let's put it back to where God has called us to and do it according to his word here. Well, you're like, okay, that sounds good. Give me some examples here where we talk about that. Here's a few ways that we do judging here. We judge people because we're superficial. We base off their appearance. 
We're shallow people, man. We judge based off the appearance. We jump to conclusions without getting everything. We're harsh to people, very harsh to people, unforgiving to people. We judge them because we ain't going to forgive them because they've done something to us. But all the while forgetting what God has forgiven us for, but we don't even want to give a micro inch to nobody else. Self-righteousness, we look good and other people don't look as good as us. So we look down upon them. We gain a lot of knowledge. Oh, this is one. We gain knowledge in God's word. And then we look at people and say, how is it that you don't know this? Or because they have second, we have disagree on secondary issues. Now we're sitting over here saying they, they, they don't know Jesus. We're judging them. And think about it here. We, we do it in such a subtle way. It, it, we talk to people and we go, mm, that's what you do, huh? Mm, okay. It's our tone. It's our posture. It doesn't always have to be verbal. It's the presence of how we engage with people. Mm, interesting. Mm. People know you and you know people and you can feel it and sense it. We have it. But here's another thing. We judge people based off their family practices. Oh, you spank your child? Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, my gosh, you go to public school? How dare you? Homeschool is the way to go. Whatever the case may be, we look down upon people. And here's one. This so disappoints me, family of God, is that we judge the church because we're not engaging in the pandemic the way that you want. This frustrates me. We sit here and we say, well, we're disappointed and we're frustrated and the church is giving in. Newsflash, get this, our worship is not bound by the government nor the brick and mortar of this place. But yet because we don't get what we want, when we want, the way we want it, we look at the church and we condemn them when all the while we're just saying, hey, we're just trying to care for people. Oh, but that's unacceptable because we're not caring the way that sees fit. Come on, family of God. Why do we judge in such a way? All because we're the standard. We make ourselves the standard. We're like, that's good. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures support to support this thing here. Romans chapter uh, 2 verse 1. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who, judge, who judges for in passing judgment on, one, uh, uh, on, uh, passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the same thing. We judging people based off the same thing that we're doing. Then he even goes on and says in uh, Romans chapter 14, hey, you who pass judgment, who are you to pass judgment on, another, uh, uh, on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls. And then in, in later in Romans chapter 14, he talks about how we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ as believers. You're going to give an account for what you've done. God, when you stand before the Lord, he's not going to look at you. He's not going to sit over here and, and, and say, okay, Miguel, so tell me about... Tell me about Ben's account, about what you did in my name, what he did in my name. No, you're going to stand before the Father, you yourself, by yourself there, and you're going to give an account on how you lived here in the body. That's why he says, be careful. He said, hold on, how you want to judge people? You want to judge them critically? I can do the same for you. All right, or you want to judge with grace and mercy? Okay, I can judge you with grace and mercy as well. He's warning against that thing. But I love what it says in Romans chapter 14, at the end of it, it says this, uh, in verse 13 of Romans chapter 14, on verse 13, it says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another, but rather, oh, this is so good, decide never to put a stumbling block in the, in the way of our brothers and sisters. Man, when we judge from a place of posture that is unhealthy, 
because either someone's not getting it fast enough or we're trying to make ourselves look good. We actually do harm to them. We put a roadblock in front of them. He even then goes on and saying in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, hey, why are you judging outsiders? God's going to handle that. Handle your business in-house. And it breaks my heart that Christian folks, this is even sad that it comes out of my mouth, we're the most judgmental people. We're so critical of folks. All the while forgetting where we once were. It's mind-boggling. Our sinful nature is prone to just selfness. It's just selfness. And because it's all about selfness, it minimizes our sin but magnifies the speck in people's eyes. But look what he says in verse 3. In 3 through 5, he says, Look here, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log in yours, in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your eye? He says, you hypocrite. Take the speck first, take the log out your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out your brother's eye. Understand, he's hypocrites. He's like, you got this double standard, like that of the Pharisees. All you care about is exalting yourself, making people your footstool so you can look good, feel good about yourself for whatever it is. In newsflash, most of the time when we judge people, it's something deep inside that's reflecting because we see it in us. When we look at folks and we judge and we're critical, it's really, it's, it's something in us that we don't like it because it's in us. So instead of giving it to the Father and taking it to the Father, we take it out and lash it out on people to try to comfort the insecurities that we have in our lives. He's condemning that. Call him his, get rid of that. King David, we all know, sat here, saw Bathsheba. He wanted her, got her, wasn't his wife. What'd he do? Killed Uriah, covered up his sins, Try to act like nothing happened, like many of us, Right? We do that, right? We sin, we do something wrong, we cover it up. Nobody can see, even though God is present everywhere, but still, nobody else can see. That's all that matters. We do the same thing that he does, but God prophetically sends Nathan to him. And goes, he goes, hey, hey, King David, let me have a conversation with you real quick. I got to ask you a question. And you know how the story goes. He goes, hey, look, this king, this, this rich man got a lamb, this other person, this poor man got a lamb. Rich man takes the poor man's lamb because he didn't want to use his own lamb. Because he wanted to feed his guests. What do you think should happen? And David, I'm paraphrasing, David's like, hey, put the books down on him. Shut him down. Let him pay it back fourfold. And then Nathan responded. He said, good. His prophetic finger said, that man is you. That's what we do. We minimize. We, we all the while, when we live in this life and we're turning, we look at the speck in people's eyes. We magnify them because those are the bigger issues. All the while, we uh, shrink ours, right? We become the standards. We, we, we get spiritual amnesia. Man, I'm telling you, Christians are the mighty. It's funny how we forget what God has done for us. Real quick. I mean, we went through the book of Exodus last year. The Israelites are a prime example of it. Deliver them, then they're going to complain. Deliver them, they're going to complain. We forget quickly what God has done for us. And what's crazy is that we take this posture because we think that whatever happened with the sins that we dealt with, whatever we've done, it's been in the past, so now nobody can check us right now. 
right? Or, 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 or because the sins or whatever the mess or the gunk we're dealing with is not as visible to the eye. So therefore we can kind of look with our piety and look at folks and act like we all big and bad and got it together. Let me ask you a question. What is the log in your eye? What is the log in your eye? Be honest. Is it pride? Is it lust? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness? Is it harshness? What is it? Because here's the thing. The text tells us both the brothers, but he says your brother has something in the eye and you got something in your eye. Ain't nobody without sin now. We all got something in our eyes. But here with this log, it, it, he uses this as a hyperbole saying that it blocks your vision. It actually makes you spiritually blind because you can't see properly. What is it? What is the log in your eye? And understand here that Jesus does not uh, 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 get, get us all scotch-free. He doesn't say, hey, you don't get to engage your brother and touch them and engage with them. No, he says, hey, look, once you deal with the log in your eye, then you'll be able to see clearly. We are called to be one another, uh, uh, bearing with one another. We are called, there's a reason why we're family and we use language, brothers, sisters, we're called to help one another. But here, my brothers and sisters, there is hope in Jesus. The cost of our blindness, the hope in Jesus. He says in verse, he says, after he calls them hypocrites, don't have this double standard. He's saying, hey, take the log out your eye, you'll see correctly. We are only able to see correctly because Jesus is the one that took the log out of our eyes. That is the only reason why we're able to see properly. And it's very funny here, what Jesus did, the carpenter himself decided to take the log of you and I's sin and decide to build a cross for him to carry, to march up to a cross that you and I both deserved, but yet sat there and suffered and got hung, stretched and wide, pierced in his side, bruised for our transgressions, for what you and I have done sat there, mocked on, spit on, but baby, listen, it don't end right there because he rose three days later with power in his hand. You can take the log out your eye because Jesus conquered sin, not you. That's why we can con that's why we can take it out our eyes. So instead of acting like we high and mighty, we got all of our stuff together, let's just be real. Our best day is filthy rags. So let's not come to people with this spiritual piety and this falseness and act like we're better than them, but, but realize that we were a wretch and a mess, and yet God in his goodness and his greatness and his mercy said, I'm going to die for you. But yet we can't even give our brother and sister an ounce of grace. Why? Because we care more about how we look. Well, you ask here, you go, okay. Let's take the log out of our eye. What do we got to do? We got to repent constantly. Go before the Father. Always fall on our feet. Repent before him. We need Nathan in our lives. We need someone that can point us to Jesus and keep us on the right track. We need the fellowship of believers. We need to flee the appearance of evil. When people want to try to say they want to pray for somebody or want to act like they want to talk about something, but yet really it's gossip because they want to make fun of somebody's situation. We need to flee that and shun the appearance of evil because we're not strong enough to engage that if we sit there and meddle with sin. It's going to grab, it's going to get us. But really what happens is that we need to have the posture of being poor in spirit, as he said in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means that the kingdom people of God recognize their inadequacy and their insufficiency apart from our great God. Apart from him. Poor in spirit. 
And hear me, when you draw near to God, when you start to experience God in his goodness, listen, you will have nothing but your response will be that one of Isaiah when it says, oh, wretched man I am. Because you will sit here and experience the holiness, the goodness of who God is, and how dare us sit over here and not say that we are men and women of unclean lips. Oh, but we are because we are in the presence and we have a God who is holy and pure. He's the standard, not us. And so when you take the log out your eye, you're able to see clearly. And you're able to minister, get this, and you're able to minister in the spirit of gentleness well. Because you've dealt with your junk before the God and continually dealing with your junk. Colossians, I mean, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if, if, any, if anyone is caught in transgression, you, plural, meaning more than one, the people, the body, you who are spiritual, restore him in the spirit of gentleness. But he says, keep watch so that you won't be tempted neither. So it may be good to restore our brothers and sisters, and we're called to do that, but we need to do it with gentleness, and we need to do it be careful because guess what? Just as much as Satan is lurking and ready to pounce on your brothers and sisters, best believe he's right crouching at your door waiting for an opportunity. So let us not get too caught up on ourselves, but yet be dependent on the Holy Spirit as we press into this and judge from a, uh, a spirit-led position. Again, gentleness doesn't mean that you're accepting all the, the worldly truths. God's word is true and he's the standard. God tells us later in his word that uh, his kindness leads to repentance. If God's kindness can lead to repentance, what does that mean for us when we engage with people? That means we too ought to be kind and gentle and patient with people as well. Understand that gentleness, when we try to restore people and try to point it out, if we do it in the spirit of the flesh, we only lead to destruction, damnation. But if we do it in the spirit, if we do it in the, uh, ministering in the spirit, it leads to a flourishing, fruitful advancement of the kingdom. You're grabbing earth and allowing people to get a little glimpse of, uh, of heaven here. Excuse me, you're allowing people to get a little glimpse of heaven here on earth. It is because we're yielding, as Galatians 5, 16 tells us, we're yielding to the Spirit. We're walking in line with the Spirit who empowers us and gives us directions and who supplies us with his power so that we can carry out his work. He is our helper. So that means we have to spend time praying. We got to be in the word. We have to fellowship with our brothers and sisters. We ought to worship with the saints and we ought to obey his word. My brothers and sisters, the eye is so delicate it's interesting. Think about it. Any of us try to touch our eye, touch our eyeball, you ever done that? You, you're blinking real quick. You're, you're like, hold up. It's sensitive. You're like, you don't want nothing there. Just as the eye is delicate, so is the soul. How we engage people, how we trust people, if we do it without gentleness, without caring, without uh, mercy, without grace, oh man, we put a stumbling block and we actually turn people away from the true living God. You get people to say, I don't want to have nothing to do with church folks. We got to be compassionate and gentle with this. And hear me, get this. We don't have to, listen, you don't have to use people as your, as your step stool. You don't have to judge critically to make yourself feel good. 
Listen, we have a God that loves you, a God that died for you. He said, while you were sinners, while you and I were sinners, he still died for us. He says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're in Christ Jesus and he loves us and he cares for us and he thinks that you are more than sparrows, you are the sweet aroma for his kingdom, you are an ambassador for his kingdom, why then would we want to bring condemnation to our brothers and sisters? We, have, we don't need to do that. God loves you, and he wants to be with you. So let us take this posture of judging and examine ourselves first. Let a man examine himself, see ourselves before a holy God. And when we see ourselves properly, now we can go to our brother and sister in love and say, hey, what you're doing is not right. Let me tell you something. I struggle with that, and I kind of still do. Hey, let me show you how God has helped me. God has been with me. Can I do that with you? Can I pray with you? Can I walk with you? What would that look like? Remember, he even goes on later on in verse 12. He says, treat others as you would want to be treated. And when God is saying when it comes to critical judgment in verse 6, as I mentioned earlier, it takes wisdom and it takes discernment when we engage people. It takes wisdom and discernment. That's why he says, hey, don't take, he says, don't give what is holy to dogs. Don't give your pearls, the precious gospel truths to the pigs. They'll trample all over them. They'll tear them up. And yes, those are non-believers, but also those are people in the body of Christ that may have gone away from the faith. We are not supposed to just pounce on people and be dogmatic. And if you engage them and you realize that they're offensive and they're throwing accusations and they're divisive, God says, hey, Jesus says, back off of them. Be wise. Don't give it to them. They may not be ready yet. And that's okay because he's probably working in their heart the same way he worked in yours. How are you judging people? Is it one of a critical judgment attitude? Or is it one that is with righteousness, gentleness, spirit-filled judgment? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you that your word is true, that it doesn't end, that it's forever active and it brings life. So God, right now, what we may be feeling, the, the, the tug that we may be feeling, people may say, you don't understand how bad I've been hurt. Help us, God, not to operate in that, whatever we're experiencing, but to give it to you, to know that you provide something better for us and for your kingdom. Your word says those who are free in you is free indeed. So help us, God, not to be bound by the change of a critical judgment, but yet free in the spirit that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen.